When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Hello on this Monday. Coming down from our football high over the weekend, we got we got a lot of everything. We got Hall of Fame quarterbacks. We got a snow globe game. Oh, God, loved it. We had uh, some drama here and there. Legendary coaches like Andy Reid. Some great stuff. Zach Taylor maybe emerging into that category at some point, too. No one gives that dude any credit, but wow. What mm-hmm. they've built with the Bengals the last couple of years. Absolutely. So we did a full, we did an hour-long Purple Daily episode today, too. So check that out. We dove into uh, the three known Vikings defensive coordinator candidates. And also the uh, the latest on, can you win a Super Bowl paying one player a crap ton of money? And we went through that list of teams that are remaining. But this is a Statements Monday here on Mackie and Judd, daily Minnesota sports, entertainment, therapy, speculation, whatever you need from us. So, Judd, why don't you uh, hit the breakfast ball here? Oh, I love the breakfast ball. Let it fly. I love the breakfast ball. Let you get a mulligan if you want to. That's yep. the, the beauty of the breakfast ball. My opening statement is this, and I say this with much chagrin because, again, just like on Wednesdays, I have to admit I was wrong. And my statement is, they were right. I defended the Vikings all season long against what I thought was a lazy narrative of they're frauds. Mm. They're frauds. And I said, no, they won 13 games. They're not frauds. Now, they might not be great, but they're not frauds. And and I, I took this into the opening round playoff game against the Giants at U.S. Bank Stadium, a home game. And I said... The national people are wrong. They're not frauds. They've got a chance. They got a great chance. And then, of course, they lose that game. And that was disheartening and too bad for them and us. But more importantly, that's not why I'm making this statement on this Monday. I'm making it because 75% of the games the past two days I thought were great. And then there was one that sucked. And that was the Giants' 38-7 to destruction at the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles on Saturday, in which Daniel Jones looked like Daniel Jones, not like the guy that played and just picked apart the Vikings' defense. And making it even worse is that 38-7 loss for Big Blue, who beat the Vikings, came on the five-year anniversary of the Vikings' 38-7 loss in the NFC Championship game in the same stadium against Philadelphia. Yeah. Go ahead, pile. I cannot defend the Vikings 
any longer. 13 wins, an NFC North title. Uh, uh, me, of all people, standing behind Kevin O'Connell and saying, onward and upward, um, the loss was bad. Saturday, to me, was worse. Yeah, because it kind of, it, watching pretty much all those games, you felt like the only two teams the Vikings may have had a shot against, including the AFC, were like the Jaguars and the Giants, right? If they got into a game again with the Jaguars and the Giants, yeah. it'd probably be pretty close. You know, they'd be punching. Uh, and then Trevor Lawrence kind of allows the Jaguars to punch up a level two oh, yeah. when he's dialed in. Oh, yeah. But it was, yeah, it was very noticeable, the gaps between the actual heavyweights in the NFC and the AFC and the Vikings. So I think I agree with you. I just I can't anymore. Yeah. I mean, even I, my, my opening statement dovetails right off Judd's, and it was the Vikings' loss to the Giants is now even more embarrassing. Because, I mean, I we all thought that game was going to be close. And I know New York Giants fans, rightfully so, probably looked at the Vikings matchup in the wild card round and said, oh, perfect. That team, we, we, we only lost that team on a 62-yard field goal, and Danny Dimes was great in that game, too, in the regular season. But then when New York goes to Philadelphia and plays, we, which we also knew was a better team than them, but then for them to get whooped 38-7, to Daniel Jones looking like the Daniel Jones that we've all kind of known, that loss now to me is way more embarrassing. Now, if the Vikings had won and they go into San Francisco, and if they got if they lost 38-7, to does, does this kind of cancel each other out? Does the take cancel each other out? I don't know. But I think looking at how the Giants played, to Judd's point, I, divisional round's my favorite weekend of the, of the calendar football year, and I moved on to the wild by halftime because I thought, oh, well, this one's completely over with, and I'm not going to continue watching it much anymore. And looking at the box score and looking at the highlights, yeah, there, there was nothing about that game. Uh, that, that makes me sit really, really well, and the loss of the Giants to me is much more embarrassing now after the whipping by the Eagles. Yeah. If the Vikings had got whooped by San Fran, at least they would have gotten by the Giants. So I think it's worse. Yeah, you would you have didn't felt even like, beat the Giants. Yeah, you would have felt like okay, they, it would have been the same as 2019, sort of. Except yeah, yeah. 19, they won the amount of games that they were supposed to, which is 10, right, mm-hmm. or 11. No, they won 11 because they. Uh, I think they won the last game of the season sitting starters. But it, would it feel different if, let's say, they had won, they had gone 10-7, and seven, which is what they were supposed to have gone if luck hadn't fallen their way, and they get bounced? I guess then it feels a little bit more in line because the flaws would be more glaring in that they led to losses as opposed to these last-minute wins. Um, all right, over on Purple Daily, we we did trigger alert. Trigger warning, we did talk about Kirk Cousins' contract a little bit. I know that ruffles people's feathers sometimes. But I asked fans on Twitter, and this thing got over, I think, over 8,000 votes. What would you do if you were Quasi? How would you approach the next five weeks leading up to the NFL free agency period? What would you do with Kirk Cousins entering the final year of his contract? Would you offer him a short extension? which is what he's been signing for five years, just another year, maybe another two years, just a little short extension, likely for relatively top dollar. Mm-hmm. Would you just ride out the final year of his contract? Would you ask him to waive his no-trade clause, or would you sign him to a long-term extension through, like, age 40 and just cover the re- Viking for life? And my statement here is Vikings fans have spoken emphatically Forty-seven percent of people said, "Write out the final year." 
30% said a short extension. 16% said ask him to waive his no-trade clause. 7% said give him a lifetime extension through, like, age 38, 39, 40. So if you add the write-out final year and ask him to waive his no-trade, around 60% of people say they're just kind of kind of ready for it to be to be over. What do you make of that? And which of these four options, how would you sort of rank these four options? They're going to um, have to pick one in the next five weeks, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I I would, if I was them, I would ride the contract out. I think that they'll pick door two, which, which would be to extend them. The lifetime extension, of course, in my opinion, is not an option at all. Uh, the wave, the no trade, I'm fine with him not do, doing that. I'm, I'm actually fine with Kirk coming back in 2000. 23 so personally i would go bring him back for the last year my second one w- would be um to ex- to do the short-term extension my third one would would be uh to have him waive the, the no trade and my fourth and last one would go to a viking for life because i just don't see the need for that see, like, i i actually totally disagree with your rankings this is great i'm going to give you my rankings so we can compare right. my number one option shocker i know would be to ask him to waive his no trade because if you if you already know we're not gonna he's not gonna be our he's 35 this summer he's not gonna be our guy we need to plan for the future the team has major cap issues if you've already sort of decided you're gonna ride him out anyways if you could get something of value for him before he just walks for nothing that would be the best case scenario Part of the Vikings' problem the last couple of years, and maybe it was worth it because they won 13 games and it was fun and there was the Colts comeback and the Bills game. Maybe it was worth it. Mm-hmm. But they ignored a chance to collect draft capital for some of their veterans a year ago. Eric Kendricks had trade value a year ago. Adam Thielen had trade value a year ago. Harrison Smith. Dalvin Cook had more trade value. Like, I don't know how many of these guys have anything more than, like, fourth-round trade value at this point, if any trade value. So can you really just let your veteran players who used to be pro bowlers erode, fall off a cliff, and leave for nothing while you're stuck paying a a salary cap penalty and bill because you kicked the can down the road? If you've decided that on Cousins, couldn't you just respectfully say, dude, thank you for the five years. One of the greatest quarterbacks in Vikings history, which isn't, like, the most prominent list, right? But we're gonna we're gonna accelerate more aggressively, getting younger and clearing cap space. We're not gonna sign you to an extension. We can find your new home for you. You can go and with your agent. Like I would, if you're if you're gonna ride it out, you should explore trades to get a second round pick or something. You should, but your bosses won't let you. That's the problem. The wills, yeah. The wills. I I mean, do do you really think any personnel guy worth his salt looked at that? roster and said oh, i love this roster kendricks and thielen and well, they Cook. did win 13 games they did but that's but they'll they will now turn around especially the wolves and say see it sort of worked and you'll be like did it really and they'll be like yes we were very competitive and and as the first step in the kevin o'connell era we won a division title like this is where we get into a very slippery slope and like the wills will say okay if you're gonna have kirk wave his no trade who's your quarterback and how immediate can that guy win? Because, again, th- this administration ownership has never shown any inkling that they are willing to purposely take a large step back. They yeah, have accidentally and, done it. 
but not yeah, but but now it's like it's staring you in the face so aggressively that you need to get younger in some certain areas, and so if so of these four options, two of them involve saying goodbye either now or later. So I'd rather do it now and get draft picks than later. So that's why I would approach him. And the other two options are extensions, and I disagree with you again. If you're going to extend him, I'd rather do like a four year extension, move cap out of 2023 and 24 and into 25, 26 and just free up as much free agency money as possible to find those 26 year old dudes, a center, a healthy center, you know, maybe a slot cornerback or something. I'd rather do that. So my options are number one, ask him to, to waive the no trade. Number two would be right out the final year. Number three would be a long extension that gives me more cap flexibility. And number four would be a short extension, which is the same thing you've been doing for five years. I do not have any interest in a short extension anymore. I don't want them around for long, long term. Yeah. I don't care what I do with my cap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need to be done okay. at some point. And I think the most, I think the path that they're going to choose is a extension through 24. I will be very pleasantly surprised if they say, uh-uh, it's done. And that's gonna that's gonna be a lot of chefs, man. A lot of chefs in that kitchen making that call. And if you and that's the other thing. If again, this is all the reason why this is so interesting is I think it surprises people how quickly this stuff happens in the off season. The league year starts in five, six weeks, six weeks. Oh, the combine's right around the corner. I think they moved it to early March. The combine. Yeah, but I mean, so we are going to be there, and that mm-hmm. that's that's where the secret talks start with free agents. Oh, it's already happening. That's now. not a legal tampering window. <laughs> That's an illegal tampering window that well, opens. You're just getting, late getting night, a couple of drinks at the bar in Indianapolis. Elmo's, you know? The Marriott. Well, I've had some drinks there. That's a great place to hang. <laughs> uh, okay, Dex, you, are you ranking these or? Yeah, I'll what's rank your, these. What's your... the, the, for me, it's ride it out, right out the final year. Uh, second is to ask them to waive the no trade. I just think it comes to it's too complicated. Like, are you going to ask them to waive it? Can you can you get a deal that's done in principle, but then Kirk says, ah, no, I don't want to do that, and then it falls through. You would essentially have him and his agent, I think, spearhead the process, right? Just and they would go to teams yeah. to get an extension. He would yeah, not... they, would, they would want the extension, yep. yeah. Yeah. Uh, third option would be the short to one to two-year extension, and the last one is the three-year extension. I have I have no interest in this guy being the long-term option at quarterback. I think I think it, it's the writing on the wall with the void years also that's in here after this season. They, they are in position to ride this out and if he's not willing to play ball then okay you and your agent who are incredible at working contracts get together and say we could, we're going to start orchestrating a trade then and what teams are you interested in talking with and then where can we go from there that would be my my options okay so if, if you let kirk ride out the final year that would mean in the first two years of quasi running this front office in a competitive rebuild quote-unquote yeah that you let cousins Kendricks, Thielen, Harrison Smith, and um, maybe, um, who am I missing? Delvin Cook, all erode and walk or be cut for no draft capital, as -hmm. opposed to trading them before they hit the cliff and getting first, second. I mean, the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson for a boat, right? Didn't the Colts get two second-round picks for Carson Wentz? Conditional first, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So again, if you're gonna say goodbye to to these players, like you need yeah. to do it a hey. year or two before it makes total sense. You, you gotta. Oh. 
I get what you're saying, but there's been nothing that we've seen that le- leads us to believe that they would take that path. I would be shocked. I would be absolutely well, shocked because that would get then, a then let's stop too. wondering why they can't build a Super Bowl contender then. Yeah, no, they want to are... be competitive. We talked about it last week. They want to be competitive. 13, I'm telling you right now, though, in Jersey right now, somewhere, a pack of Wolves are saying 13 wins and a division yeah, title. Dude, uh, and it's such an unserious franchise club. if they wind up continuing forward with like at a 33-year-old Adam Thielen. We'll just keep kicking money down the road. He's, well, he still has some gas in the tank. Like, guys, be more ruthless. I think the personnel department's hands are tied behind they're back to a certain extent where, where to what you're saying, Phil, the erosion is just going to have to take place. Yeah. Well, I don't like it. But. No. All right, Judd, you're up next year. Your next statement is presented by the official sports bar of the sports dad, Judd Zolgad. And that, of course, is the Park Tavern in SLP here, the official sports bar and the official place for fun. Look at that right now. Bowling, who shot this B-roll? Drink. Look, look, who, this is outstanding. Somebody did a great job. Oh, wait, that was Sports Dad as well. You, <laughs> you know why? Because I stopped by the Park Tavern to have a couple of beers. But that is just an illustration of all the fun with bowling, two bars that you can have in the community here in St. Louis Park for more than 42 years. It's open 365 days a year. And if you're looking to plan a group outing, perhaps it's going to be your wife's birthday, anniversary, your kid's birthday. Guys, be a hero at home by doing the planning. Tell your wife, you know what, I got this. And then go in a different room, pick up the phone and call 952-929-6810 or go to parktavern.net and give them a call or just simply book a party I'm talking a party of 40, 50 people. Park Tavern has seen it all. That is nothing for them. It's easy. Cheryl does a great job, and that's the best part. Park Tavern will do all the work, and you will be a hero at home. Parktavern.net, 952-929-6810. Sip a Surly, where Sports Dad does. Park Tavern, St. Louis Park. All right, Judd, what's your next statement? Okay, my next statement is this. Build it strong and build it fast. I implore you to recall the games that we watched, not the Giants so much, but the rest of the teams, and especially like the Bengals or Dallas or San Francisco, and look at what they did defensively. Look at how they swarmed to the football. Look at the lines of these good, good teams. The Bengals had three-fifths of their offensive line out, and those guys kicked ass. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because they're strong, they're intimidating, and defenses are fast now. I would love, I I highly doubt that this exists, but wouldn't it be fun to have, like, a speed ranking on defenses? Because the Vikings would have been 32nd. Like, if, if you had a closing the gap speed and, like, an overall statistic to show that, Think about how slow the Vikings were, the linebackers were. Think about all the space that existed. And then think about what we saw from the Bengals. Hell, the Bills, too. How quickly they got to guys. And how strong those teams were up front. And if intimidating is not the right word, it's close to it. Like, look at those defenses where they are. And then look at how passive and slow the Vikings were. Build it strong and build it fast. Yeah, I think that so that data does exist from like NFL next gen stats, but I don't know how how much they quantify it for the public. They, I don't think there's like a a leaderboard for now. Baseball makes all that stuff transparent. You can see like who the fastest players are and player yeah. tracking data. The NBA, I don't know to what extent the NFL makes that stuff 
widely public, but I test. Yeah, I mean, just watch, dude. There was a linebacker who was the uh, who was the was it the Niners linebacker that literally ran forty yards down the field step for step with Ceedee Lamb to break up a, a pass oh, in that game. Unbelievable play. And yeah. Eric Hendricks used to do that stuff too, like yes, five or six did. years ago, but. Do they have a light? And meanwhile, Jordan Hicks and Eric Hendricks now, as thirty and thirty-one year old guys, have a hard time keeping up with mobile quarterbacks and really any tight end running across the field, let alone C.D. Lamb, forty yards from the line of scrimmage. So, yes, just getting faster should help this defense. I think Absolutely. it's one of those scenarios where sometimes if you have a veteran player that 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 can play fast because he sees what's happening. Um, that maybe you'd rather have him, but I think we've sort of crossed that line of, no, you just need some faster guys here that are a little more spry and, and young. And strength, too, though. Like, up front. Th- these teams that are really good are intimidating up front. The Vikings weren't. They should have been. They could have been, but they weren't. So, yeah, I think the I think the blueprint for the makeover of the defense is right there. Just do it. Work on it. Get younger, get faster. I don't need veteran guys that can't run anymore. Uh, my next statement, after watching um, most uh, specifically the Bengals and Joe Burrow being cool as a cucumber, delivering darts, and then in his post-game interview being him, my statement is, I want a quarterback who doesn't give a bleep. And Joe Burrow does not give a bleep. He's asked point Blake, I believe, by Tracy Wolfs in that postgame. Oh, so what do you think? You know, they're now they gotta move that game that was gonna be in Atlanta. I uh better send those refunds. And that was it. There was no other pontificating answer. He was he was just cut and dry of yeah, better send those refunds. But then I'll, obviously his play and just the way he goes about leading that team, man, I love watching that dude play quarterback. I mean, Pat Mahomes is a magician. Josh Allen, when when he's also playing at his peak, is really fun to watch. I think Joe Burrow is right up there now with Patrick Mahomes in terms of one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and one of the best quarterbacks to watch. I know they were all saying that in the postgame that you, if you wanted to say last year was a fluke for the Bengals to make that run of the Super Bowl, you, that, that argument is now invalid. Um, they start 0-2. They then go yeah. on a run where they what, only lose a few games the rest of the season. Now they're on the doorstep of going to back-to-back Super Bowls with a head coach who has, yes, even turned my attention and said, okay, this guy is pretty damn good with a generationally good quarterback. It's been impressive, and I want the quarterback who does not give a bleep. I know they don't grow on trees either, but watching Joe Burrow play football, it makes me very envious for the Vikings to have a guy like that. Meanwhile, on the other end of the quarterback spectrum, the Dallas Cowboys official Twitter account sent out this. Yeah, that's great. This is the official Cowboys Twitter account. Dak Prescott gave away the ball twice in the narrow loss to the 49ers in a matchup the Cowboys had a chance to win if they didn't again generate self-inflicted wounds. There's no link or anything. It's just a Twitter what? post. It's just a tweet. It's great. <laughs> well, did they forget the link to an article or something? Oh, my God. The team account just... Did Jerry Jerry Jones Jerry went Jones in and said, passed and told him to someone, that. what's that Bring social... Him, yeah. Bring me that social media gal. Spitter, yeah. Twitter. There's a yeah. There's a fighting <laughs> chance. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. What do you think? Are, you know, it's always a transition when you know in the '90s, Dan Marino and John Elway and Joe Montana when they bow out, like that was kind of the, the '80s and early '90s Mount Rushmore, and then Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and maybe Brett Favre. Like, I feel like the league is in amazing hands right now with Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, 
Josh Allen, although he's at this Trevor, point kind of been proven to be a, a level, but Trevor Lawrence is going to be in Lawrence that mix. Is, yeah, coming down the pike here. He's I like him a lot. But even like Jalen Hurts, and there's yep. there's so many dudes right now up and down the league. Um, you get a little nervous, like who's all right? Well, Tom Brady's getting old. Aaron Rodgers is getting old. Who are who's going to be the fun must watch quarterbacks? There's about ten oh. teams that are kind of putting garbage out there, but. This is a pretty a pretty amazing top-heavy list of star young quarterbacks right now. The thing about Burrow that just astounds me, because he's not, like, super fast, but his ability to navigate the pocket and to be athletic when it matters, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Like, like because he's not, you know, he, he's not hurt. He's not just going to take off all of the time. But one, he can, and two, his footwork in the pocket, like, he makes it look so simple that it's like, well, yeah, of course – that's how he's going to move in the pocket. Oh, no, no. Watch other quarterbacks. That's very, very difficult. I mean, his ability to sense pressure, like he has every intangible that you could possibly want. Yeah. Yep. And he makes, I think there's just something about him that makes everyone else more confident, more comfortable. You just see that dude walking around the way that he does. There's just, it's it's well, something that's hard to quantify. That's what on, Declan like, said. Football he, reference. He seems like. I, I wouldn't say he doesn't care. I would say this. Right. Nothing phases him. Yes. Yep. Nothing un- phases the guy. Yeah. That's an incredible thing. And plus, he seems like a decent kid. Yeah, like, well, he doesn't never, come off as a jerk. Until he gets arrested for meth possession or something. You never know these days. <laughs> He's got all his teeth. <laughs> well, so far. Judd, do you have any final Viking statements before we get into some twins discussion today? Uh, yes, I have one more. And it's this. We don't miss him. I'm talking about Stefan Diggs. Not only did you upgrade, because you did. I know it's incredible, but you did. I'd take him. I would take him, too. But, you know, didn't we see it again yesterday? His, He and his lifelong buddy, Josh Allen, this is my guy. This is my quarterback. And, of course, he's on the sidelines, arm, f- arms flailing. One, it's a snow globe game, okay? It's not like it's real simple. Two, uh He's all, you know, pissed off again. I guess I guess he basically, at the end of the game, ran up the runway, got his stuff and left, mm-hmm. and a veteran guy who was on the practice squad dragged him back into the locker room briefly, and then he just left again. It's like, you're still pulling this crap, dude? Yeah. Like, these star turns. And, you know, the one thing that, Phil, we used to talk about way back when on the radio show, was that Thielen at the time and Diggs didn't seem like divas. Like, they seemed yep. low maintenance. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was the miracle, I don't know if it was his frustration that got him traded. Somewhere along the way, Stefan Diggs has turned into, and he's still damn good, but he has turned into a diva. Well, okay, and if, if he's frustrated in Buffalo now, that where, where is your next move? Yeah. You're going well, to force your way to the Bengals? or Yeah. I mean, I if, hell. I'd take him back. <laughs> he wants to come back and play well, next yeah, to Justin Jefferson. Thielen. <laughs> but well, I, just, I don't know how that's going to happen. But, I mean, I'm just – I'm watching what we used to see from him and this now, it's like, why'd you go there? You've now become the receiver who is too good for, you know, you got to get me the ball. What are you doing? And I understand you're frustrated, but does gesticulating on the sidelines really help your cause? He's a Josh he's Allen a hi, he's him. a highly emotional guy. Yeah, Josh Allen didn't even look up at him because yeah. he probably does it all the time. 
I still I, I think he just has I don't know, he just has a a short fuse when things are not going his way. He's a little bit of a front runner in that way. Yes. But I would still take him in the foxhole. I don't I don't think he's a toxic like Terrell Owens kind of a guy. I think he just gets super charged up in the moment. Yeah. I still I yeah. He wants but I agree. To win. Like I'd rather have I'd rather have the Jefferson. But Jefferson could start doing this at some point too. You of get to be could. your fourth, fifth, sixth year in the league, and you're like, "What the hell are we doing, guys?" Mm-hmm. Of course he could. But I'm just saying, I'm tired of this crap. Um, I do have one more quick one, then we'll talk some twins here. I just, um, pour one out for uh, for Brett Mars' kicking career. I know that he came back and made a couple field goals, but yeah. Dude, that extra point that got blocked. Yeah, I think close. we're dealing with a Chuck Knobloch situation here that now has now he has to sit on this all off season. Do you mm. remember the first game? So I think it was the first game after the Seahawks debacle when Blair Walsh missed. I think the Vikings opened the next season in Tennessee. And there and there was a kick where they tried to say the wind got it. But he had a that Blair Walsh literally had a kick that took a left turn towards downtown Nashville. Yeah. And it's like that ball is no, I mean, this is like, unless there is a gust of wind that's a hurricane, uh, that ball that got blocked, he was actually fortunate it got blocked. Yeah, It was going to miss by so much. It would have been worse yeah. to not have it blocked. So, yeah, at yeah, least, at least when it gets blocked, you can kind of justify to yourself like, Oh, that was totally going to sneak in if that guy's... I'm going to blame the guard. The left guard needs to get a better base. And you know what? If he doesn't... If that doesn't get blocked and he doesn't miss it, um, and there was a field goal... Oh, they they went for it in the first half on fourth down, and they got it, but then Dak threw a pick shortly after that. They're up 10-6 to at the half. Mm -hmm. So, like, that changed the game. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. All right, gentlemen, let's um, let's talk some twins here. Some twin statements here. <laughs> a Friday trade that went down, and we thought maybe we should do an emergency episode. And like, oh, eh. we'll see. did we really think that? I I just saw a couple of tweets saying, "Are you going to do one?" And I'm like, the, the twins need to earn our emergency episodes back. We gave you one for the Carlos Correa, but uh, yeah. that's not my first statement, by the way. That the twins need to earn. Okay, our you're done now. Episode. Not that <laughs> But here's my first statement, okay? This looks like a good trade for the Twins, but I am not a doctor. So I just want to preface by saying that. We've been burned in the past by saying, this looks like a good trade. Then you Google, you know, Tyler Malley's shoulder or something. Now, Pablo Lopez, much like all pitchers, has had some stuff before, but nothing, nothing imminent it looks like. He's a rock solid. So the trade was, for anyone that just like wasn't paying attention to this from Friday through the weekend or you were cut out watching football, uh, the Twins traded the American League batting champion Luis Arise, who has, I believe, three years of team control left, right? And they receive a good, solid middle of the rotation, a good, solid number three starter on a playoff team, potentially Pablo Lopez, 27 years old, going to be. And also the Marlins' fifth-best prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, infielder Jose Salas, and then another prospect in outfielder Byron Churio. So you're getting, I think, a rise for Pablo Lopez, kind of similar in that you're trading a pretty good solid player. Arise is a good batting average on base guy, doesn't hit for power, not really fast in, in his position's first base where 
his offense doesn't really rise up as much. Um, so you're, you're, I think you're trading a good position player with some team control for a good starting pitcher with some team control, and you're getting a couple good prospects back. So it's not really about money. It's just kind of a baseball trade. And the Twins feel like they need to continue to add starting pitching depth because they've been unable to produce it from within themselves. So on paper, looks like a decent baseball trade unless you are in love with Luis Arise and think that he can now be like a modern Tony Gwynn going forward or something, which I don't know that this is repeatable. I think he had a good pop-up season, but what do you guys think? If it pleases the panel, I would like to recklessly speculate on a Monday instead of waiting until Thursday. Reckless speculation. Thank you. Uh, so the interesting thing about this is there was, uh, what was it um, Dan Hayes in The Athletic? But a month or so ago, perhaps a little bit more than a month ago, it was pointed out, and I think it probably came from informed people, that Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, and Kenta Maeda are all free agents after 2023. Mm-hmm. And that Sonny Gray, because the pre- previous, because the last two on my list, of course, have been hurt because the Twins, whoops, got guys hurt, um, that Sonny Gray might be shopped at some point in time here. That could be the trade deadline in July. But, you know, right now, you've got Gray, Ryan, Mally, Maeda, Lopez, and then your own guys. Who, who you like some of, okay? What if we aren't done yet? And I'm not saying this would be popular, but recklessly speculating, what if we were to see Sonny Gray packaged with a guy that they would that they want to trade but can't, Max Kepler, in spring training, in, in a trade, hmm. which, would, which would now... I mean, I wouldn't love that trade, but it does seem like you've created a plethora of starters, assuming that they aren't hurt still, We've well, created a long list of starters that gives you some potential wiggle room to get out of a contract when you know that you're probably not going to pay that guy in 2024 and beyond. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, oh, here's my problem, I guess. If you trade Sonny Gray, I don't, and, and I need to know, are you getting major leaguers back or are you getting prospect yes. capital? I would guess I would guess a little bit of both, perhaps, depending on on what you trade. Okay. But yes. I just feel like you're kind of spinning plates here. Yeah. You know what? So you're, you're, how are they getting better than what they've been the last couple of years? So keeping Correa doesn't make you better. Yep. It maintains you, right? Yep. Okay. So swapping out Sonny Gray for Pablo Lopez doesn't make you better. It maintains you. Mm-hmm. You need to get better to simplify this. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm curious about, and maybe some of it is Buxton. Buxton stays healthier, and that, and maybe some of your pitchers with a new trainer aren't going down with injuries. You know, maybe you maybe you trust a couple of these pitchers to go a little deeper in the games and and preserve your bullpen more often. But what are we? You know, the Kenta Maeda thing too. A zero trade value there right now. Yeah, like, no, the guy not. hasn't pitched in two years. Yep, and he's like. It's like 35. Yeah. He turns 35 on April 11th, coming off Tommy John surgery. So we're not, this isn't the guy that almost won the Cy Young Award, you know, three years ago anymore. Correct. So I just, I would, I would, I would prefer them. They're in a win now window. You got Carlos Correa at prime, Byron Buxton prime. Who knows how long he's going to be able to even play, right? You got, um, you got a couple other guys 
that probably are going to be around still and in their prime, like uh, Polanco. You got, uh, what's his name, my guy Joey Gallo. Like, your team is kind of ready-made now with the core position players that you have. I'd rather them just keep Sonny Gray at this point, and if you need to trade him at the trade deadline, if things are going poorly, then trade him right. at the trade deadline. But I would that's start, a possibility, too. Yeah. I'd start the season with Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, um, and then you know probably yeah. Tyler Malley. I don't know if Chris Paddock's going to be probably not ready until no, half, he's probably, half of the year. Yeah. So Late. Maeda, six-man rotation, I guess, and maybe Bailey Ober or something. I, I would think- start there, give myself a chance to start hot, and then yep. if I needed to make some trades, I'd make some trades. I think if Paddock comes back, they said September. So I'm just I'm throwing yeah. it out there. The Twins have operated in very mysterious ways before. I'm recklessly speculating. This is a safe space. Don't shoot the messenger. That's fair. It's always a safe space. Reckless mm-hmm. speculation. Okay, my first statement. I am one step closer to being gaslit by the Twins. I am one step closer to be fully back in and gaslit by the Twins. One step closer. I'm not all in yet. But this is a classic Twins move. They need pitching. And I like Pablo Lopez. To Phil's point, if he stays healthy, he probably is the best arm in your rotation. Um, he, he's a solid number 2-3 in classic Twins fashion, though, again. They're trading for him to be the ace of a staff that, again, on a good staff, Pablo Lopez slots in more like a number 3, potentially a number 2. This team can't pitch. They needed pitching, like, really, really badly. And although there's still some great options in Bailey Ober and Louis Varland and in-house options that they have never developed that turned into aces, they need to take steps to be better at pitching. Trading Luis Arise probably at his peak for an above-average pitcher, plus a little bit of uh, prospect capital, a pretty solid trade on paper. I, I agree with Phil's opening statement. But you need a little bit more pitching. Get a little bit more pitching, and old Dex tweets probably trots back to target field a little bit more in 2023. But I, I need to yeah. see a little bit more pitching moves before I'm kind of brought back ball in on the 2023 Twins. This gives them, I, you know, there's a, to me, the, 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 the way the Twins get an ace is one of two ways. There's develop a guy, get a guy in the Rule 5 or something like Johan. That was, you very rarely find an ace in the Rule 5 draft, but. Develop a guy from within, like a Johan, or trade for a guy who's 19 years old, like a you know Frankie Liriano, and do it that way. And they've had a hell of a time, basically since Johan left. Mm-hmm. They haven't. Barrios, for a minute, looked like he might be that guy, but he never like fully reached his max potential. So they've literally been looking for that type of an ace for 15 years. The other thing they could do, because their, their rotation is at least set up depth-wise, unless they trade from it, like I said, to be competitive. This is probably the best the rotation has looked on paper and the deepest it's looked, but they don't have a number one like Declan said. But maybe if they start off well, this is a situation where you could go get a rental ace, you know, whoever the whoever the three month rental is, overpay a little bit at the trade deadline and uh and just and just ride that guy from you know August, September to October. But you gotta. The thing is, you gotta start the season for the first three months and show that you're a winning, healthy baseball team before you can think about yeah. doing other things in July. The key so. word being healthy. Right. The poor yeah. new trainer might have the most pressure of anyone brought in. That's a good statement. Forget the right players. There. Forget the players. Forget the pitchers. The trainer. It's like keep Buxton out there for one fifty four. The guy's like, I quit. All right. Here's. My next statement about the Twins. Do 
your job. Do your job. And I am looking at you, Derek Falvey. You were brought here in um, October 2016. So, so you've had since the 2017 season, all right? You were brought here as a pitching whisperer. You were going to unearth really good bargains that were going to be fantastic. And most importantly, you were going to replenish this franchise with plenty of young arms who would be ascending left and right right now. We would be looking at young men coming up and throwing a a multitude of innings and pitching great. I'm going to read to you from a Star Tribune piece that appeared in Sunday's paper about the pitching and the philosophy now, okay? Yeah. And see if this rubs you the wrong way, because it certainly did me. Only five pitchers drafted by current management have started a game for the Twins, and only Bailey Ober a 12th round pick in 2017 seems assured of a role in 2023. Wow. Falvey was asked about this. Remember the pitching, Mr. Miyagi, I can find pitching. I can find you pitching. It's going to be, this is, this is the difference. This is the between the margins thing where we are going to separate ourselves from the rest of teams that maybe don't spend a ton. All right. I read you from the star tribune. The quote about pitching. I don't care where they come from. We we need really good starters, and we need really good pitchers. Some of those are going to be free agent signings. Some of those are going to be trades. And some of those will also, hopefully, being the key word, be from development. But the goal here is to continue to deepen the starting rotation and pitching staff however we can do it. Dude. Okay. Dude. Go ahead, Phil. So there. Okay. Yeah, I th- he know he knows though. I think he's he's just sort of covering his tracks but that's the, publicly, what right? When, when he says I don't care where they come from, there is a huge distinction here. If you had been developing pitchers for the last five years that were popping up into your rotation, guys that you drafted or guys that were international free agent signings, you know, your sixteen year old kids, your eighteen year old, whatever, you wouldn't have to trade or face the conundrum of potentially trading a 25-year-old on-base machine in Luis Arise with three years of team control left to get a number three starter. Wouldn't you rather have five options that you've developed from within and hold on to Luis Arise for the next three years, right? And, and, And they, this is where like ownership comes in a little bit. I think people go overboard with the cheap pull ads angle because there is no like real rev there's revenue sharing in baseball. It's not like the other sports where everyone's kind of operating on the same playing field revenue wise. So could ownership go out and say, screw it. Like kind of like they did with Carlos Correa on the six year deal and just outbid the next team by 40 million. But it's so risky to go sign free agent pitchers who usually don't hit the market till they're 29 or 30. Their arms are ticking time bombs. The, the, the best chance you have to keep a guy healthy and to get value is to develop him arms put him out on your major league team between ages 23 and 29 and let somebody else pay for his Tommy John surgery when he's 30 or his frayed labrum or whatever right correct so when he says I don't care where they come from one of the ways like if if it's free agency trade or develop from within one of those ways is incredibly more valuable and better for your baseball club especially when you're a mid to low market spending team right and the fact that they have failed in that regard means that they have to then trade 
valuable assets like Arise to get more pitching. So yeah. I think he know he knows that he's a he's a smart enough. But he's guy, failing. But, but he's he's miserably. I mean, this would be akin to if in five years Kevin O'Connell has not found a QB. You were brought here largely to do that. Yeah. Derek Falvey was he came here. His resume said at the very top, Cleveland Baseball Club, whisperer of finding pitching. Corey Kluber was on that list. Think about the he. They basically are playing with a guy who is known for or supposedly going and getting pitching. They are basically playing dart board pitching, which is they throw a dart at a board and it's like we hit Lopez. Yeah. Now we hit Paddock. Now and we hit to, Malley. And the other thing too is they're taking because they're so rightfully so desperate to find pitching, then they start to take risks on guys that have had correct shoulder problem, Tyler Malley, or partially torn UCL and Chris Paddock. If they had a plentiful pipeline over five years, going back a year ago on the Chris Paddock trade, if they had a plentiful pipeline of good young pitchers, are they really gonna? And you know that and that trade didn't like derail the franchise or anything. But are they gonna take a risk like that on a guy that literally had to be sat with a partially torn elbow ligament three months, four months before you made that trade? No, they're they're taking more risks because they feel pressure to yes. do so because there aren't guys like this coming up. Over the last six years. And I saw something, I forget where I I read it after the trade about how um about how the twins now, you know, like some of these young pitchers are starting to come up. It's been five plus years. And it sometimes takes like when you draft especially when you draft high school arms, like eighteen yeah. year olds, or you sign some of these international kids are like sixteen, seventeen when you sign them. It is a four or five, six year process, but They've also drafted college arms that are 21, 22, 23 when you get them into your system. Five is what they have so far. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Do your job. Back to a season ticket holder, future season ticket holder, uh, Declan. Uh, My next next statement is, don't tell me you're going to miss a rise this much. So when he was traded, the, the, out, the outpouring of Twitter and tweets that I saw from people that I follow, and then even you know on my tweet deck, I have you know hashtag twins, so I get a, a bunch of just flooding of fans or media or anyone that has that hashtag. Oh man, I'm I'm really gonna miss going to the ballpark and watching those Luis Arise at bats. Is that what really is gonna prevent you from not going to Target Field every day now because they traded Luis Arise? Like the, the the Twins haven't put out much of a product that's worth going to. It's really difficult to justify paying a lot of money to get into the ballpark, to buy buy beers and buy hot dogs. Is trading Luis Arise really going to prevent you from now not going and boycotting the 2023 Minnesota Twins? I call baloney on that. It's expensive to go to a ball game. Luis Arise, in my opinion, is not the can't-miss player that I can't wait to see when I walk into Target Field. So yeah. get out get out. I think that. it's I think it's more like... There's a, there's already a bunch of reasons that, that people don't go to the games because the attendance was way down last year. This is just another reason for them to not go to the games. Correa wasn't the attraction, maybe. And Correa also, he's not like your Bryce Harper superstar or, you know, there's five or six players. Mike Trout is one of them, too, where you're going to go because you want to see that guy hit a 480-foot moonshot, right? I think Carlos Correa's value is a little more subtle. Like he's going to play rock solid, fundamental shortstop, and uh, he's going to get on base and hit singles and doubles and maybe run into twenty home runs. So, and Arise was kind of that way too, right? 
If you if you just love to go to the game and why he's a very nuanced player. If you love to go watch a guy work a pitcher for nine pitches, check his swing a couple times, and he was a fun guy to watch if you're a hardcore baseball fan. But to Dex's point, he wasn't like it wasn't like Kirby Puckett back in the '90s or Torrey Hunter, some of these dudes that are actual attractions. Johan Santana, so I, I'm with you. Buxton's more of an attraction than Luis Arise. I tweeted that exact thing though. I'm going to miss him. I'm not going to boycott games, but I'm going to miss this. This sport has become so, it feels like, especially at the plate, cookie cutter in its approach. Because yeah. they're all, they all, you know, launch angle and they get with their hitting coach who tells them um, uh, some Einstein theory of re- relativity of how, how to hit. And here's what Newton's physics say about what you should do in the box. The one thing about Arise from an old school baseball standpoint, his at-bats were fun. He yeah. literally spit on pitches and then shook his head, that's a ball. Yeah. Like, it's stuff like that. I miss that stuff. So, yeah, I'm not boycotting, uh, but I did enjoy the fact that he was a, he had a very different approach from most people in 2023. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah, I, I, one more thing on Arise, too. It's a, it's a concern, I guess, I have is that the thing that he's great at, batting average is one, but just getting on base. He was their best on-base guy. And if you take him out, and let's see here, Gio, Gio Urshela was pretty good at getting on base for the Twins last year, and he's gone. They don't have a long list of guys that are great at just getting on base, be it through working counts or base hits or whatever. Uh, the only two guys, let's see, Correa. So there's the only the only three guys with an OBP of 325 or better that are coming back this year are Carlos Correa, Jorge Polanco, and Jose Miranda. Everyone else has a lot of work to do in the getting on base department, which actually brings me to my next statement. I think I think this, let's call it a three-year window for the Twins, three- to five-year window, because they are in a win. They're not rebuilding. They're in a win-now window, despite having come nowhere near the playoffs the last couple of years, right? Like, they are not rebuilding. They're trying to win now. Yep. So as important as Correa is and Buxton and this pitching staff, I think the two players that this whole thing hinges on the most, are they going to make a step? Are they going to actually compete? Are they going to win a playoff game? I think it's Alex Kirloff and Royce Lewis. Because if those two guys are healthy and progressing and playing at the level that they're projected to be at as young players, they would be like two of your four best position players and hitters, but they can't stay healthy. Royce Lewis for a number of different ailments, knee and everything else. Yeah, and Alex Kirloff is down to like a last gasp, desperate wrist surgery to see if he can play Major League Baseball for you know the next five or ten years. But if those two guys are clicking and they're playing 120, 30, 40 games or whatever it is, um, and everything else starts to fall into place. This thing could they they could be a dangerous team, but if not, it kind of wipes out two pillar cornerstone guys that you really were going to rely on for the next decade. They can be a dangerous team potentially if, much like the Vikings, their personnel fits their philosophy. Because like the bullpen is going to have to be if they're going to continue to do what, what they did last year, that bullpen is going to have to be damn good, and it wasn't even close. Yeah. It, and where so where is Royce going to play here? Third base, and Miranda if if Kirloff can't stay healthy, he'll just shift to first base. I could see Miranda being a 
first baseman, but Joey Gallo's good. There, it, there's some position flex here. Joey Gallo's first base DH, some corner outfield. Miranda could be DH, first base, third base. Royce Lewis, whenever he's ready, could be center field, I, backup shortstop, and third base. I got news for you. Joey Gallo is going to play a ton of games in center field. Or backup center field, yeah. It's not a backup. It's a co-thing right now. Seriously. I mean, Byron Buxton, come on. I'd love to see him play a ton of games, but I just don't see it. Well, yeah, he never plays 100 games. In and then if career. Kirloff actually, if if his arm d- doesn't disintegrate and fall off, he can play right field a little bit too. Because I think Kepler's gone, right? They've been trying to trade him, right? And at this point, he's also just him. been... God, we talk about Sano and the disappointment and some of these other guys. I mean, Max Kepler, from what yes. he did in 2019 yes, and what he was projected to be, he was part of this young nucleus, the contract extension they gave him, which didn't break the bank, but it was like a vote of confidence that we believe in you for the next seven years. In Polanco. Oof. And, he, and he's got a glove. He can cover some ground, and he can, he, he can do some things in the outfield. But Max Kepler is going to turn 30 years old in two weeks. Yeah, I don't think they can get a thing. I, I think the, the problem is they've aggressively shopped him, is my guess, and they can't get a thing for him. He would actually be, and and you've been begging for this for years, who's your fourth outfielder? Can can Max Kepler at this stage in his career is a perfect fourth outfielder on a good team? Just on a, a good guy team, that, yes. Yep, a guy that plays 100 games. He's a, He pinch hits. He's a late-inning defensive replacement, and he starts like, Half the games because of injury or whatever. Yep. He's great in the right center field. He's nah. No, but he could, but if you needed a guy to come in and play some center for like two or three weeks as again, as a fourth outfielder, he could make it work. I prefer to trade him. Hmm. Any other final twins thoughts from you guys here? Good. No, you guys are good. Get it all off your chest. On my chest now. Then next trade, we can have another twins conversation. Great. I'll miss him. Louis, I'm going to miss you. So so screw Declan. He might not. I'm going to miss your at-bats. I'm going to miss your joy in the box. Mm. I'm going to miss your Rod Crew impersonations. <laughs> I will, too. He was a fun player to watch. He was a, a thinking man's, a thinking baseball fan's player to watch. Yes. I miss I miss big league ball players in the box whose who's, um, who's stances and tendencies can be repeated by kids playing schoolyard baseball. Like yeah, well, in my I think, day, I think the, the Tom and Mansky training videos from the nineties just launched a whole new player in a the whole 80s, new wave of players with the same batting. We stance. had like Johnny Walkenfuss. We had Glenn Borgman, Johnny Walkenfuss. Yeah, kids. We had all these guys, Cecil Cooper, all these different stances, Brian Downing. And now it's just a cookie cutter approach. With by by Harvard guys who became hitting coaches as Royce likes to say. Come back tomorrow to hear the sports dad yelling at clouds and listing <laughs> you know, random eighties baseball players. Literally here get off Nike my front lawn because that's where I played summer of sixth grade. Get off my front lawn so I can play my damn baseball game. Right, we need to get sports dad his meds here. And we'll see you. It was very it was very cool. <laughs> we'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>